this Bible study is going to be on reasoning. And it's sort of like a part two to a lesson that I taught some time ago on Satan's mightiest warfare weapons, thoughts. Most people realize how dangerous certain things can be, but most of the time they don't have any idea how dangerous reasoning can be. And yet we put up with it all the time. And so hopefully now, as we go through this Bible study, we're going to see how we deal with reasoning all the time and very seldom even realize that it's there. Now, you don't have to look up 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 right now, but that's our foundational warfare scripture. It's a scripture you need to memorize because it tells us that we've been given weapons that have been divinely empowered. They're powerful weapons. They're spiritual weapons so that we can pull down all the strongholds of the enemy. Our physical weapons are not going to work. And then it goes on to tell us that one of the advantages of these spiritual weapons is that we can take every thought captive. Now, one type of thought that we need to take captive is reasoning because reasoning can ruin your life. It can destroy you in minutes. To start with, I'm just going to share a very personal and painful experience that happened on my journey in this pilgrimage of reasoning because reasoning has been something that I've had to deal with so many times. But soon after we moved out in the country... We hadn't been in our home very long, and there were no houses around us at that time. You had to go pretty far back up the road before you even came to a house. In fact, it was so secluded that we hadn't even put up all the curtains in the house. Well, I had cooked this big pot of red beans for a party that we were going to have the next night. and it was, I mean, it was a big pot. And it was late when we got home, and they had just finished cooking, and so I just set the pot and all, the beans in the pot in the refrigerator. In fact, I had to take a rack out of the refrigerator to get them in there. Well, I didn't know that you had to let beans cool down before you put them in a refrigerator. And so the next morning when we got up, all this internal heat, the, the cold from the refrigerator had driven the heat in, and it had caused these beans to sour. Now, have you ever smelled soured beans? Oh, listen, I'm going to tell you what, there is nothing worse and so I pulled this big pot of beans out of the refrigerator and the bubbles were coming up and they were coming and bursting on the surface. It, would just, it looked like it was alive. And it smelled so bad that you could hardly stand it. So I grabbed the pot and I was taking it outside so I could get the smell out of the house. And so Jack came into the kitchen and he reasoned that we needed to put those beans in the pickup and we needed to take them away from the house before we poured them out. And so then he got into his reasoning some more, and he said, ooh, if we put them in the cab of my pickup now, it's going to make my pickup smell horrible. So he decided we'd better put them in the back end of the pickup. Well, he got to reasoning again, and he decided that if they spilled, it's going to make a big mess in the back end of his pickup. So he put the tailgate down, and he told me to get up on, on the tailgate and hold that <laughs> pot of beans so they wouldn't spill. Well the thought just kind of flitted through my mind that maybe I should go in and get dressed first, you know. I had just gotten up, and my hair was in every direction. I didn't have any makeup on. And I had this old faded flannel nightgown on that I think I'd probably gotten back when first year we got married. But this voice of reasoning came in and said, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. It's barely light. There's no one, no one around. Even the cows are still asleep. And so I let that voice of reasoning just overpower me. And so anyway, I jumped on the tailgate, and I held on that pot of beans, and off we went. Well, I thought he was going to take off down in the pasture, and instead he got to reasoning again, and he decided that if he poured those beans out in the pasture, one of the cows might get a hold of those beans and get sick. 
So he decided that's not a good idea. So instead of turning to go to the back, he turned and he went out over the cattle guard and went out onto the road. Well, we had just stopped to pour those beans out and this brand new car pulled up alongside of us and this guy rolls down his window and it's this real nicely dressed man and all of a sudden I realized it was a friend. We had gone to school with him. And he said, he said, Pejos, what are you doing? And I thought, you know, where do you hide? If I'd have been in the cab, I would have gone under the seat, you know. But here I am, I'm sitting on the back of the tailgate I'm in my flannel nightgown. My hair looks like I have a spiked hairdo. It's just sticking out in every direction. And I'm holding on to this pot of beans. And by this time, he's got the window down and it smells to high heaven, you know. And as if nothing else worse could happen, he picks up a camera on the seat, on the front seat, and he snaps my picture. He's an insurance adjuster. And he takes my picture, and then he just drives off with this big grin on his face. And for the last 15 years, it doesn't matter where I see him. I can see him downtown. And he hollers at me from down the street, and he says, Say, I've got a picture you might be interested in. <laughs> so anyway, I'm telling you, reasoning now can ruin your life. <laughs> it can cause you a lot of problems, and it can destroy you in just minutes. So today... What we're going to be doing, we're going to look at reasoning from five different areas. Now, number one, I want us to see how reasoning plays a part in intellectual pride. I want us to see how it plays a part in doubt and in logic. Now, the whole world fail simply that fall started with a thought, with just this reasoning scenario that happened between a woman and the enemy. Now, reasoning was in the opening scene, and I think we're going to find out that reasoning has been involved in every fall that's taken place since. Now, I want you to look in Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It tells us that the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. Okay, now Eve doesn't sound like she's upset with anything that God has told her. She said, hey, we can eat from all the trees of the garden. That's okay. Just one tree, God has told us not to eat from that one tree. So she's perfectly content with what God has said until the reasoning comes in. And so in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, he's saying, hey, God knows that the reason he doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because when you do, you're going to be just like God. You're going to know everything that God knows. Now, intellectual reasoning feels good. It sounds so right and it can be so enticing. That's why we have to be so careful. And it's easy to see when reasoning began to take over with Eve because you can almost read her thoughts because of what happens next. You can almost see the wheels beginning to roll. And so she starts thinking, well, you know, that's true. We only have God's word on the subject. You know, God's the only one that's really talked to us. How can we be totally sure that God's telling us the truth? You know, maybe he doesn't want us to know as much as he knows. You know, maybe there is a secret here. And it might not be bad for us to get another viewpoint. You know, we do need to be open-minded because after all, we're going to make a decision that's going to affect the rest of our lives. 
And so you can see those wheels moving. You can see her reasoning. Now, reasoning is so hard to distinguish at times because it sounds good. Have you ever noticed that when you get into this role of reasoning, it just sounds good? See, intellectual pride thrives on reasoning because it feels right, it sounds right, and most of the time there's just enough truth in it, you know, just enough good in it to deceive us. Now, this tree is not just the tree of the knowledge of evil. If it was just the tree of the knowledge of evil, it would be so easy. But this is the tree of the knowledge of evil and good, and it's the and good part of that tree that gets us in trouble. Now, there's a danger any time that we want more than just God's opinion on the subject. And this story of Eve is just a graphic illustration of the times when we want more than just God's opinion. And, you know, sometimes we'd say, I don't want more than God's opinion. But you know what? We do. When we get into our reasoning and we start reasoning out things that don't line up with the Word of God, then what we're wanting, we're wanting more than just God's opinion. Now, I'm going to give you an example as you know, our children's church, they're real progressive. And so they ask Angela to come and teach their children's church on how to do street evangelism because they knew that David and Angela do this for their college kids before they go on a mission trip. Well, this was about the time that the Harry Potter movie had come to our theater. So the children were taking these tracts on Harry Potter to hand them out explaining the Deuteronomy 18 verse 10. Now, Harry Potter is one of the most seductive influences that we have among our young people today. And the reason is because most of the time it's teens now that have been targeted. Most of the time the enemy comes after the teens. But the reason that Harry Potter is so dangerous is because this is targeting the very, very young. Very young children are reading these. Now, I know a lot of people who say, well, how is Harry Potter any different than some of the witches in the old fairy tales? I've heard that so many times. And that reasoning can sound so right. But see, the difference is the fact that in those old fairy tales, they never taught these young children how to perform the witchcraft. You know, the witchcraft was always shown to be evil, and in the end, good always won out in the end. They always pushed the witch in the oven and burned up the witch or, you know, whatever, you know. And so always good won out. Well, Harry Potter now, on the other hand, is made to be a hero. He's the hero of the show. And he actually teaches these young children how to participate in these forbidden rituals. And so Harry has been made out to be the champion of the things that are strictly forbidden by God. Well, anyway, Angela and different ones of them, they get to the theater, and on a whole, they thought it was interesting that it was the lost people who were the most interested in what they had to say. And they were even able to leave some of the grown-ups and, and some of their peers to the Lord. But shockingly, now, they had a different reaction from the denominational Christians. Now, this was a surprise to them, especially teachers and librarians who you know, of all people, should have known the difference. Now, this is the part of the illustration that I wanted you to hear. There was one professing Christian who started ridiculing Angela, and she said, how can you be against something that you've never read? You've never read these books. You've never seen the movie. How can you be against that? Now, that sounded reasonable. See, that sounded like very logical thinking. And I thought, you know, that probably would have thrown me off and I probably would have stammered and stuttered and, you know, and wouldn't have known what to say. But Angela asked her the question. She said, does God have permission to forbid us to do certain things? Or do we have the right to check it out first to see if God might be holding something good back from us? 
Well, that's obviously exactly what Eve was thinking. You know, that God was holding something back. There was something good that God didn't want them to find out, and it was hidden in this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, each one of us, we have to come to the place where we ask ourselves, does God have permission to forbid some things, to hold some things back from us? Does he have that right? Do we believe that he does? See, if we've never given him permission, then what's going to happen? We're going to reason up an excuse, and we're going to fall into exactly the same trap that Eve did. See, God forbids us to have anything to do with witchcraft, with the occult, he tells us that we're to be ignorant of the deep things of Satan. Now, only the person who has already lost his innocence can know that it truly was the wisdom of God that there were some things that he was not to partake in. And when a person has already lost that innocence, then they realize, oh my goodness, God was right. You know, that was the wisdom of God trying to protect me. Now, can't you imagine how many times after Adam and Eve had fallen and been put out of the garden, can't you imagine how many times they thought about the wisdom of God that had tried to prevent them from finding out some of these things that they didn't need to know? Well, anyway, Angela went on, and she told this lady, she said, you know, I don't have to experience what a hangover feels like to know that it's wrong. And she said, I don't have to experience what it's like to be on heroin to later then say, oh, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. And she said, I don't have to watch a Harry Potter movie or read a book to know that it's wrong and it's forbidden. Now, when we start to reason out excuses or anytime we start to delve into forbidden things, then we have no more idea what doors we're opening up than Eve did. Intellectual reasoning now involving things that have to do with the occult or, or delving into religions now just so we can gain knowledge on the subject. All these things are forbidden in the Word of God. And by faith, we need to realize that these forbidden issues are for our protection. God's not holding something good back from us. He's doing it for our protection. And that's why Psalm 131 quotes from someone who has learned to trust in the Lord. And Psalm 131 said, I have learned to be composed and I've quieted my soul just like a young child leans against his mother resting in his mother's lap. Okay, just like a young child then doesn't question the wisdom of his mother, but that child is able to sit there in its mother's lap and trust the mother and rest in the mother's arms. Okay, in the same way, we're supposed to enjoy the protection that God provides. But you know, intellectual reasoning now is very seductive and it feels good and it appears to be so right because there's always just a little bit of truth to it. You know, the very universities that once proclaimed Christ are now putting intellectualism and they're putting logic way up on a pedestal. And boy, the word tolerance is the new buzzword for the 21st century. You know, everybody's talking about tolerance now. And Christians are made to feel very uncaring and very unloving if, if they're not willing now to embrace and show tolerance for the things that are forbidden. You know, we're starting to be taught that. But you know, that kind of reasoning comes from the very subtle tactics of the enemy, and that tactic is called reasoning. Now, Satan is still saying exactly what he said to Eve. He's saying to us today, you know, don't pay any attention to what God's trying to say. You're not going to die. God's just trying to scare you. That's all that he's doing. 
Because God knows that the day you eat from this reasoning, from this intellectual prowess and, and the mental explorations and tolerance, he knows that the minute you partake of these things, then your eyes are going to be open and you're going to know good from evil. And we think about that and we think, oh, surely people don't think that way. But yes, they do. That's the, the kind of thinking that's going on in our world today. And we get hooked many times because there is some truth to it. When we partake, our eyes are opened. Our eyes are opened into the realms of the enemy. But only the person now who has lost his innocence can know that it was the wisdom of God that tried to spare him from some things that he should never have looked into. Now, Proverbs 3, verse 5 tells us to lean not to your own understanding. And that's basically telling us, lean not to your own mental reasonings. Lean not to your own questionings. But surely God doesn't mean that. You know, surely he doesn't mean that. Or does he? Do we take that literally? You know, the word of God does not teach us to be tolerant of pagan religions or anything else that doesn't line up with the word of God. doesn't teach us that. There should be a total intolerance of any teachings that contradict the word of God. The Muslim religion teaches that all Christians are infidels. It teaches that all Christianity should be done away with. They hate Christianity and they want it completely out of the way. They want to stamp it out. But see, tolerance and reasoning now has taught us to embrace them as brothers and embrace their religion and give them an equal place. But you know what? Members of the Muslim religion, they are not brothers. But it is so subtle that even most Christians now are being sucked into that kind of thinking. And because of that kind of reasoning now, we're very dangerously close to losing the very nation that our forefathers fought so hard to birth for. Now, tolerance of any ungodly things, that's not God's will. God's not tolerant of those things, and he does not want us to be. And reasoning is one of the biggest enemies of faith. It opens the door to our doubting God, doubting the things of God, putting other things up on a pedestal equal to God. You know, years ago when I was going through all kinds of emotional illness and fears, I was just tormented. I was tormented with all these doubts. And I put myself through all kinds of mental gymnastics in an attempt to try to prove that Christianity was true. Now, I wasn't doing that to prove that it wasn't true. I was putting myself through all this reasoning to try to prove that it was true. But the more I reasoned it out, the more confused I became. And so one day, someone told me that there was a modern prophet who was preaching at a certain church. Well, I'd never heard of a modern prophet before, and, and so out of curiosity, I went that night. And it was a small church, and it was full by the time I got there, and so I went on the back row. I was right in the middle of the row, so I was not in a conspicuous place. But when he finished preaching, he pointed to me, and he said, come up here. God wants to give you a word. Well, I'd never heard of God giving somebody a word. I had no idea what he was going to do. But anyway, I went up to the front and he just started saying, you've been battling with all kinds of doubts. You've been battling with all kinds of reasoning and you've been tormented. You've been trying to figure it all out in your intellect. And I was thinking while he was saying that, you know, I really have been doing that. And then all of a sudden he said, God said, I want you to choose that you're going to believe my word. I want you just to make up your mind that you're going to choose by an act of your will just to believe that my word is true. And he said that over and over and over. And all I can remember is just being embarrassed because I thought, oh my goodness, I wonder what all these people are thinking. But you know, he just kept saying it. He said it over and over and I thought through my mind, how many times is he going to say this? But you know what? Finally, I quit thinking about that and I started listening to what was being said. He said again, make up your mind that you're going to choose to believe my word. 
make up your mind that my word is going to be your final authority in every area of your life. And I started hearing it. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, Lord, all you're telling me is that faith is just a decision to believe your word. You know, I don't have to feel it. I, I, I don't have to prove it. I don't have to reason it out. I don't have to do any of these things. All I have to do is just make a choice to believe it. And that was the breakthrough that I'd been looking for for so long. And that was the first time that I realized what an enemy this reasoning was and how much damage it had done. It had literally robbed me of eight years of my life. See, demon spirits come to us in the form of thoughts. And a lot of the reasonings now that, that we put up with are nothing more than demonic assignments. Demons actually speaking to us. Okay, let's go into the next category of reasoning. Number two, I want us to see how reasoning now plays such a strong part in creating fear. Now, you're familiar with this story, but in Genesis chapter 12, because of fear now, Abraham made Sarah say that she was his sister. Now, we recognize the fear in that action. And most of the time, we don't think much past the fact that he just got into fear. But I want us to see that what opened the door to that fear were the reasoning thoughts that had been going on in Abraham's mind. See, Abraham had been reasoning that when the men of Egypt saw how beautiful his wife was, they would want Sarah, and so they would kill him so that they could have his wife. So he started reasoning that it would be better for her to be taken by a man who thought that she was his sister because at least then he would be considered the man's brother-in-law, you know, and so he wouldn't have to be killed. So he reasoned that this was the way that he could protect himself. Now, Abraham even played on Sarah's emotions, you know, to get her to consent to the plan. In Genesis 20, verse 13, he said to Sarah, this is the kindness that you will show me everywhere we go to say he is my brother. Okay, so in other words now, he was saying, Sarah, if you really love me now, whenever we go any place, you'll do this kindness for me. You'll just say that I'm your brother. Now, it's hard for us to even imagine a man asking this of his wife because this meant that she would have to be given to another man as a wife. And the Pharaoh actually took her as a wife. You know, in Genesis 12, verse 19, Pharaoh said, why did you say to me that she was your sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now, reasoning causes us to come up with our own plan of protection. You know, we're always looking for ways to protect ourselves. And this reasoning causes us to look to ourselves rather than to God. And so Abraham had reasoned out this way of protecting himself. But you know what? When we come up with our own reason, it's never the highest. And there's no way for us to know how much grief and how much sorrow and shame that Abraham brought on his wife through this reasoning. And he almost lost her completely in the process. But we find that when God comes up with a plan of protection, it brings us no sorrow. But see, the reasoning was hard to overcome because there's always some truth to it. Now, in Abraham's case, Sarah was his half-sister. And so he felt justified when he came up with this little plan because, after all, it was a partial truth. You know, when we were first married... Jack and I had gone to bed one night and we heard this hideous crying on the front porch. And it was the voice of a woman and she was just crying in agony. And we were both just, we were so scared. It, it felt like I wasn't even breathing for a few months. It felt like my heart just quit. And we were just lying there just frozen. And finally, Jack broke the silence with the, the solution that he had come up with in his reasoning. He said, you know, honey, that's a woman out there. I think you'd better go see about her. <laughs> So anyway, I mean, my heart was beating so, and 
I should never have told him what I found on the porch because no one could have convinced me that a Siamese cat could sound so human, you know. And it did. It sounded just exactly like some woman was out there on the porch dying. But anyway, let's, let's get back to Abraham. Abraham saw himself being killed. He saw that. And that's exactly what reasoning does because as we reason things out, fear pictures start being painted in our mind. You know, I can remember when we were building on the house, well, Jack that day had said that he was going to be working on the roof of the house, and it's a two-story house, and I don't like heights, and so I was already just a little bit nervous about the fact that he was going to be up working on the roof. Well, later that morning, I was inside the house, and I was working, and all of a sudden, I heard this horrible thud on the roof. And immediately in my mind, I very clearly saw Jack fall, I saw him roll off the roof, and I saw him hit the ground. And I saw all that just as clear as a crystal in my mind. And I ran outside knowing that I was going to find him on the ground unconscious. I knew that I was going to. Well, my shock was when he was still up on the roof, <laughs> you know, just working away. See, reasoning is very subtle. And, and we need to be aware of these fear pictures that are constantly trying to be painted in our mind because Satan's constantly trying to paint fear pictures for us. Now, reasoning plays a big part in picturing death wishes for so many people. You know, I guarantee you that every suicide that has ever been committed was preceded by somebody reasoning it out how he was going to carry it out. See, no suicide ever happens on the spur of the moment. It's after a person has reasoned it out, they've seen themselves, you know, what they're going to do, and they've carried it out in their minds first because that's the way reasoning does. And then there's times when a fear picture is something that the enemy shows us in the natural. It's something that we see out in the natural. And when that happens, then too often we run immediately to our reasoning rather than running to the promises of God. Now I'm going to give you an example the Notre Dame team was playing Southern California, and this has been quite a number of years ago because this was before they had a rule of how many men you could suit out. But now Southern California had the much better ball team, and they knew it, and Notre Dame knew it. And so the coach of the Notre Dame team decided that he was going to try something. And so he got every big guy that he could find on the Notre Dame campus, and he put them all in a uniform. And he had a hundred great big guys. Some of them had never been in a uniform before. But then the Notre Dame coach held them back in the, in the dressing room, and this is a true story, and he waited until Southern California was out, and then he ran every one of those big guys past the Southern California bench. And those a hundred big guys, can you just imagine, a hundred of them, kept coming and coming and coming and coming. And so finally, Southern California coach realized that his boys, now they were panicked because of, of the fear picture that they were seeing out in front of them. And so you could almost read the reasoning that was going on in their minds. And so this coach called them aside and he said, hey guys, don't lose your cool. Remember, only 11 of those guys can be on the field at the same time. But you know what? The damage was already done. See, reasoning had already triggered these fear pictures in their minds. And so they didn't exchange those pictures for faith pictures. And so they didn't lose to the Notre Dame team. They actually lost the game that day to the reasoning that had come from all those fear pictures. They lost to the hundred men that they saw pass by them in uniform. Okay, now let me give you another example of reasoning that leads to fear. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now Saul's reasoning 
is going to get him in trouble here. David has taken food to his brothers. They're in the army, and the Israeli army is facing the Philistines with Goliath. And no one wants to fight Goliath. And so here comes David. He's got his slingshot, and he said, Hey, I'll fight him. I've got a covenant. I don't mind fighting him. And do you remember what Saul said to him? Tells us a lot about the reasoning that was going on in Saul's mind. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 33, Saul said to David, You're not able to go out against the Philistine to fight with him. You can't do that. You're just a youth while he's been a warrior from his youth. Okay, Saul's reasoning now immediately puts Saul into all kinds of fear. And he starts reasoning, Hey, this man, Goliath, has been trained since the time he was a young lad. And David's still just a young boy, and he's never had any military training. And Goliath probably weighs five times more than David weighs soaking wet. And so even my armor, you know, I'll put my armor on him. He puts his armor on him, and the armor's so big that David can't even walk. So you can imagine what this does to the reasoning that's going on inside of Saul. You know, you can't even walk in my armor. How do you think that you're going to win against this giant? Now, see, reasoning is hard to overcome because there's always some truth to it. There was some truth in what Saul was thinking. Goliath was five times bigger or, or more. He was a warrior from the time he was just a young lad. And David hadn't had any training. David couldn't wear the armor that he needed to protect himself. See, there is a truth, but it's not the truth. And that's what we have to remember. Sometimes there'll be a truth, but it's not the truth. You know, some people fear a bad doctor's report and they begin to reason, you know, and before they know it, why they've seen fear pictures in their minds of, of dying and funeral arrangements being made and all kinds of morbid things. When those kinds of reasonings start in our head, that's when we need to shut them off immediately with the Word of God. Now, I can remember when my grandmother was in the hospital in a very serious condition. She had an inflamed pancreas, and I'd gone up to the hospital, and she started describing to me this horrible pain that she was in. Have you ever had somebody describe the pain that they were in? And, boy, before long, you know, you're almost feeling those pains, you know. Well, an inflamed pancreas is not contagious, but before I left the hospital that day, I was experiencing the exact pain that she had been describing to me. And I went away thinking, oh, I've just got to get this out of my mind, you know. And I thought at first that it was my imagination. But, you know, night after night, I would wake up in the middle of the night with this horrible pain in the area of my pancreas. And so I knew it wasn't just my imagination. And so reasoning then started me in all kinds of different fear directions. You know, I started remembering all the precautions that the doctor had made. I remembered that he said, oh, it's a good thing you got your grandmother to the hospital when you did. And I thought, ooh, and I'm not in the hospital, you know. And all these things are going through your mind. And he started telling us how serious her condition was. And see, it was hard to overcome because there was some truth to it. Something had gone wrong with my body. There was something going on. I was having symptoms in my body. It was a truth, but it wasn't the truth. And so I had to do battle with that reasoning now before I could get rid of the fear. I finally got the victory, but it was a battle. Okay, let's go now to number three. I want us to see how reasoning causes us to operate by the arm of flesh to try to fix it, to try to work out our own problems. And any time we're doing it by the arm of flesh, we're not trusting God. Now, we've already talked about how Abraham, because of his reasoning, first got into fear, and then he tried to fix his problems by the arm of flesh. And we've talked about all the problems that it caused. But I want us to look now at another example in their lives. Now, Abraham and Sarah had been told that they were going to have a child in their old age. 
Now, when it didn't happen as quickly as they had expected, Sarah started reasoning and she came up with a solution by the arm of flesh. Now, back in that day and time, it was not unusual for a man to have other children by his wife's handmaidens. And I don't think that was ever God, but it was the custom in that day. So Sarah decided then that Abraham would have a child and he would have a child by her handmaiden, Hagar. And this was going to fulfill the prophecy that God had given to them. And so she tells the plan to Abraham and they both reason that this is a good plan. And that mistake that came from the reasoning that day, I tell you what, it has left a trail of grief. We find out that Hagar ended up turning on, on Sarah, started treating her unmercifully. Sarah became overcome with and obsessed with jealousy. Finally, Hagar and the boy was put completely out of the tents, and we're still feeling the repercussions of that today because of what they did. But their reasoning now made the decision seem so right because up to that point now, God had not specified the fact that Sarah was going to be the mother. When you look in the scripture, Abraham had been told he was going to be the father, but at this point, Sarah had not been told specifically that she was going to be the mother. So that reasoning could sound logical. See, reasoning feels good. It sounds reasonable. And because there's some truth to it, we fall for it until we recognize it for the enemy that it is. You know, when David gave in to, to his lust with Bathsheba, he never counted on the fact that Bathsheba was going to get pregnant. And when that happened, instead of running to God, he ran straight to his reasoning, which led him to try to fix it by the arm of flesh. Now, do you remember first how he had Uriah come back from battle in an attempt to get him to lie with his wife? See, in David's reasoning now, that was going to fix everything, and Uriah would think that it was his baby, and everything would be okay again, and David could go on with his life. So David had reasoned that this was the best plan, and I'm sure he had this big sigh of relief that everything's okay. But his perfect plan didn't work because, you know, he had no way of knowing that Uriah was not going to go home. He said, I'm not going to go home and enjoy my wife when all these other men are out on the battlefield. So David had to come up with another plan of reasoning. And see, any time we come up with our own plan of reasoning, when our plan doesn't work, then we've got to come up with something else. So he decides that he's going to get Uriah drunk, and then when he's drunk enough, he can send him home. Well, that didn't work either. And so now David is desperate, and he reasons now that his only alternative is to have Uriah killed. Now that seemed okay to him because he reasoned in his mind that he really wasn't having him killed. He was just going to tell Joab to pull the other soldiers back to leave him unprotected. And he knew he wasn't the one actually shooting the arrow, so he feels okay about the plan that he's come up with. And so he starts reasoning. He even says it later to Joab. Well, battles always have casualties. Anytime a soldier goes to battle, he's taking that kind of chance. So he's reasoned all this out until he feels okay. And of course, there is a truth to that, but it's not the truth. And that's what makes it easy to fall for because there's always some truth to it. See, reasoning will kill you. And that's why it's so deadly when we go to our reasoning rather than hearing the voice of God. Now, in the very early, early days when we were still having church in the body shop, we decided that we were going to hire this interim pastor as an assistant. Well, he came in from Tulsa, and he was there for his interview. And so the men got a real check in their spirit, and they just felt like, hey, something's wrong. 
you know, they were having a hard time, so they were in another room, and they were praying, and finally, they reasoned, well, he must be the right one because he's saying all the right things. He's saying exactly what we said and prayed that we needed, and he sounded exactly what they were looking for, and so finally, they were puzzled, but they decided, you know, okay, I, I guess we're just missing it. He must be the right one. And I'm going to tell you what, it was terrible. I cannot tell you how terrible it was. He turned out to be a disaster. I mean, he lied to people. He stole a car. I can't even go into all that happened because of that. Well, the truth finally came out. He had seemed to be such a nice young man that I had decided that I was going to help him with his interview. And so I told him everything that the men were looking for. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. It was just reasoning. All of a sudden, it was just coming out. And you know what he did? He memorized everything, just exactly what they wanted. And so when he went in, he told them word for word exactly what they wanted to hear. Well, when those men found out what I had done, I tell you what, I barely escaped from my life. <laughs> That's one time that reasoning really did nearly kill me. <laughs> But anyway, I learned so much from that. I don't know how many of you heard the story on 60 Minutes, but this was a sad but a, a true story. Someone came up with a new baby formula, and it was called Neomul Soy. And some of you may have heard it, some of you may have read about it, but when they were coming up with a the formula, they questioned the wisdom of putting salt in a baby formula. And they reasoned that salt surely can't be that good for a newborn baby. And so the makers of this baby formula, they reasoned that they needed to leave out the, the sodium and the chloride, leave it out of the product. And the effect was disastrous. Many, many of those babies died, and a lot more of them were left blind. Some of them were deaf. A lot of them were mentally retarded. A lot of them didn't have any muscle control. And the horrible part was that when they discontinued the use of this product, it still didn't reverse the, the damage. And I thought, you know, how would you feel if you had been the one who had reasoned up and came up with the idea to leave the salt out of the formula? You know, how would you feel? See, the reasoning sounded right, and there was some truth in the facts that they had looked at when they were deciding on the formula. But it wasn't the truth. So we're going to find out a lot of times. Reasoning may not always kill us, but there's times when reasoning can even kill us. Okay, number four. We're going to see how reasoning plays a part in people-pleasing and lying. Now, when we think about the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, it didn't appear that they had done that much wrong. I've read that story so many times, and I thought, you know, it was their land, it was their money. They really weren't obligated to give anything, and they were givers. They gave into the kingdom. They just reasoned out a way to impress people. They reasoned out a way how they could look like the biggest givers in the church, and still have a little nest egg that they saved back for themselves. See, reasoning took them down a path of people-pleasing and lying, and they died because of it. And again, it was easy to get into that reasoning because there was some truth in it. He did sell the land, you know, and he did give part of the money. He just justified in his mind that he didn't have to give it all. But you know what? When Peter spoke to him, he said, Ananias, why have you conceived this deed? In other words, why have you reasoned out this deed in your mind? He said, you've lied not to man, but you've lied to God. And so that partial truth then allowed Ananias to reason out that that lie was okay. Now, we see repercussions of reasoning all through the Word of God. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Elisha told Naaman to go dip in the River Jordan, and when he dipped in the River Jordan, he, he was healed of his leprosy. 
and Naaman was so thrilled that he wanted to give gifts to Elisha. But Elisha flatly refused to take any money. He said, I'm not going to take anything for a healing that came from God. Now that was a day when Elisha's servant, Gehazi, should have stayed in bed. He should have pulled the covers up over his head and he shouldn't have gotten out of bed because he reasoned, hey, Naaman wants to give us gifts. We didn't ask for those gifts. And he reasoned out the fact that, hey, Naaman was plagued with leprosy and now he's a healed man. That's going to make him feel good to be able to give us gifts. And he has plenty of money. It's not going to hurt him. And boy, we need it. You know, Elisha needs it. Look at all we could do if we had that money. And he felt justified when he ran after Naaman and told him, hey, my master has changed his mind and he has, in fact, decided to take some of your gifts. Now, the reason it was easy for Gehazi to tell him what he considered to be just a little white lie is because there was some truth to the reasoning. But you know what? Elisha said, did my heart not go with you when I saw the man turn from his chariot? And he said, was this a time? There was some truth in it that, yes, maybe he did want to give the gifts and maybe those things were true. But Elisha had said, this is not the time to take a gift. So the leprosy of Naaman transferred to Gehazi and it says that he went out from his presence a leper white as snow. Listen, I'm telling you, our reasoning can cost us more than we could ever possibly imagine. And then there's times when the reasoning is going to come through somebody else. When we listen to somebody else's reasoning. You know, we'd been running the radio station for several years out of just one room. We had one room for a studio, and we needed more room. We, we needed a room for the studio, and then we needed a place where they could make commercials. And so we called David and Angela. They were in Irving, and we called them, and David came up with the wonderful idea of putting a room up in the attic. And so Jack started immediately drawing up the plans, but he ran into the problem of all the trusses up there. Now, several times God has shown Jack in a dream how to work out a, a construction problem, and this is one of those times. He had gone to sleep, and God had given him a dream, and he saw himself cutting into those trusses, and God showed him a unique way to brace the trusses. It made him a little nervous because he said, if this is not God now, this entire building <laughs> could collapse because he wasn't just cutting one or two trusses. He was cutting 16 trusses. And so, you know, it made him a little nervous, and so he kind of walked to the floors, and he decided that he would check it out with an engineer who sold the trusses to us. And, oh, the guy just had a fit. And he said, Jack, that is crazy. Your whole building would collapse. He said, don't even consider doing something like that. And now Jack had a problem, you know. He shouldn't have ever gone to the man because now he had to decide that he was either going to believe what he thought God had told him or he was going to have to go with the reasoning of this expert opinion of an engineer who was doing this kind of thing for his living. And so Jack may have walked the floor a few days before, but now he was really walking the floor at night, you know, trying to make sure he was hearing God. And so finally he decided that he had to go with what he believed God had told him to do. And he said that the, that engineer's reasoning words were just screaming in his ear every time he cut through another one of those beams. But sure enough, he would brace it, and then he would cut it, and he, he braced it like the Lord showed him to. And when he cut the 16th beam, that bracing that God had shown him just held perfectly in place, and there was not a bit of give into the building. And I've often thought about the fact that somebody else's reasoning almost made us give up that radio room, and that room has been such a blessing, but we would have never known what we missed if we had tried to please man and, and listen to man. Okay, number five. The last one, I want us to see how reasoning now plays a part in carnality. Now, the downfall of the entire Davidic dynasty 
started with the reasoning that led to carnal actions. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh and he took Pharaoh's daughter and he brought her into the city of David in spite of the fact that God had given specific instructions not to marry anybody outside the faith. And he did this strictly out of his reasoning because he reasoned that this would be a very good political move. How many times do we hear now that we need to do this because it's politically correct? Well, this was the politically correct thing for Solomon to do. But you know what? That one open door opened the door to 700 other foreign wives. It says that he married Moabite women, he married Amorite women, Edomite women, Sidonian, Hittite women. It opened the door to idolatry into his kingdom that later was going to destroy the entire nation, and it turned Solomon's heart completely away from God. But you know what? It sounded right to Solomon because there was some truth to it. You know, in the natural, a marriage alliance with, with Egypt now, it was going to help bring peace between the two countries. That was easy to, to reason that out. He overrode what God had said to go with his reasoning. And look at the devastation that his re reasoning brought, not only to him and his immediate kingdom, but the entire Jewish nation now for generations and generations to come. Now, negative reasoning is the opposite of wisdom. Anytime we get into negative reasoning, we're going to find it's the opposite of wisdom. And so when Solomon now turned his heart away from God, his wisdom became perverted. Up till then, he was the wisest man who had walked the face of the earth. But his wisdom turned to reasoning. Now, if you want a perfect example of Solomon's wisdom, you can look at the book of Proverbs. But if you want a perfect example of his perverted reasonings, you can look at the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, I've worked with couples who were having marital problems. And every time, it always started with some reasoning thoughts that one or the other of them had gotten into their head. I've known girls who would start reasoning in their mind, and before you knew it, they were ready for the divorce court. And it was over just some fantasy thoughts. Or sometimes it was nothing more than, well, my husband just doesn't pay any attention to me anymore. You know, I wonder maybe if he has somebody else that he's interested in. I don't think he loves me as much as he used to. Come to think of it, I don't think he gave me an anniversary present on his last year, you know. And, and sometimes it can be no more than that. But when somebody starts entertaining those negative reasonings now, they don't realize that they're playing with dynamite, you know. And it's hard to believe that that kind of reasoning, when it's adopted, it has the power within it now to destroy even 25 years of marriage. I've seen it happen over and over. But see, reasoning is easy to fall for because there usually is some truth to it. Perhaps he did forget the last two anniversaries, you know, or, or maybe he has been preoccupied lately. But the difference is between some facts and the truth. Because there's usually, in reasoning, there's usually always going to be a certain amount of truth. But it doesn't mean that it is the truth. You know, many affair has, has started by some reasoning thought, no more founded than just the things that I named. Now, affairs always start with a thought, and they develop on, on into more reasoning thoughts. And if that reasoning is allowed to continue, then, then the results is never going to be godly. Now, some people say, well, how do you know if an affair has already started in your heart? Well, just notice what you've been thinking of. Notice what you've been thinking of. It's always going to be negative reasonings about your marriage. And remember now, reasonings have just enough truth in them to, to keep us reasoning. And that's the tactic of the enemy. 
And then you find yourself maybe dressing to please somebody at work or, or maybe you start wondering if he's noticed you. Your emotions start intensifying and sometimes they say they start feeling like a teenager again. And then all of a sudden, the person starts thinking, I don't really care whether my husband notices me or not. You know, he hasn't noticed me for a long time, I don't care. And any time that reasoning comes, you can know that an affair has started in the heart. Now, Satan's mightiest warfare weapon is a thought. And reasoning is nothing more than a series of thoughts. So in reality, now, reasoning is a series of Satan's mightiest warfare weapons. Anytime you're into reasoning, a series of warfare weapons are being thrown at you. Now, you might think of the thought as being a single shot and the reasoning as, as a spiritual machine gun. Now, by no means have we touched all the areas that can be opened up by reasoning. We haven't even come close to that. But I've just wanted you now just to see at least this many that it can be opened up to. When we realize that we can open ourselves up with reasoning into intellectualism and pride and doubt and fear and people-pleasing and lying and, you know, trying to make something happen by the arm of flesh and even carnality, then it makes us want to put a stop to it. See, reasoning is a poor substitute for hearing God's voice. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we desire to be a people who hear your voice and follow after you. I thank you, Lord, that you've shown us example after example of what reasoning can do. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we choose to lay this down at your feet. We choose to call it sin. We choose to, to see it for what it is and recognize when we're in it and repent. And we ask you, Lord, to help us come to a place where, just as you told me many years ago, that I was to make up my mind, that I was to choose to believe your word and make your word my final authority. Father, that, that's the answer to coming out of reasoning. And, and Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name.